We're beginning a new series today, a nine-week series through the book of Ephesians. And if you know Ephesians at all, it's a small letter, but there's a lot there. And so it's not going to be a phrase-by-phrase walkthrough, as you'll see, but, but we are going to walk through this book of Ephesians. And today, message is entitled, Unbelievable. Have you ever written a letter to someone that you love deeply? A letter written with love that is a commitment, because that's the true definition of love, right? But a love letter. You ever written one of those? I'm not asking for hands. Um, Written from your heart is just overflowing with the loving emotion and excitement. Uh, A letter written to someone you love so much that... That their needs, and ah, I wish I could do this all the time consistently, (laughs) that that, that their needs are the most important to you. Just that kind of love. As a matter of fact, a kind of love that would cause you to consider wearing matching sweatshirts. (laughs) Maybe not. Well, I got a bag of letters and cards here that Miriam didn't know about. I'll I'll let you read maybe later some of the nice things she said about, what is this? Now, that is things we are going to do together in our life. Uh, Yeah, pretty pretty romantic there, Marlo. Way to go. I was like 21. And here's a card for my, look at, check out that 80s card, hey? Huge for my wife. First Valentine's together as a married couple. I got to reread that later. <laughs> Cards, letters that communicate love. It's what Ephesians is. It's what Ephesians, this letter is. It's, a, of course, it's what the whole book of the Bible is as we journeyed through last fall through the Bible in seven weeks. And if you weren't here, some new folks in the church since that time, I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages online. But Ephesians, a letter written from a guy named Paul, previously opposed to Christianity from his Jewish religious perspective on life. But he met Jesus. He met Jesus in a powerful way. And the story is told in, in the book of Acts, chapter 9. But here he is, this guy who is now what's called an apostle in, in, in the, the Bible. Someone who is sent. And Paul had seen Jesus. So he's, he's one of these big A apostles, capital A. Significant role he had in the launching of the message of Jesus in the world. And of Jesus' church. But here he is, he's writing this letter that it's sent to this group of Christ followers in this city of Ephesus with deep love from his heart to, to the Christ followers there. A letter that reminds all of us that all of us are the object of God's immense, unconditional love. And we're going to walk through the first 14 verses together this morning. The history record of the start of the birth of this church in uh, Ephesians is in the New Testament 
record or historical book of, of Acts, uh, chapter 18 and 19, and, and I'll ask you to, encourage you to read those chapters. So Paul arrives in Ephesus, which was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, part of what is Turkey today, and he arrives there with some uh, missionary companions whose names, uh, a married couple whose names are Priscilla and Aquila. Huh. Judging from their names, they may well have worn matching sweatshirts or togas or whatever they wore back then. But in Ephesus, as Paul did wherever he went, he spent some time in the synagogue where the Jews were, reasoning, the Bible says, reasoning with the Jews, attempting to convince them that Jesus was the Messiah that they had long awaited for. And really fairly easy to do when you consider all of the Old Testament prophecies. And some of you have studied this a little bit, as I have. Uh, some of the Old Testament prophecies foretelling details, amazing details, about the birth, life, and, and, and death of Jesus. And the, the, uh, I've read, I can't remember right now, but the astronomical odds of, of, of it being fulfilled, and Jesus fulfills them all. It's pretty supernatural. And so, Paul is talking with the Jewish leaders about all of this stuff. And then a guy named Apollos comes and teaches about Jesus, and the church in the city starts to gel. Uh, you see that in the, Acts 18. And then Acts 19, again, you can read it on your own, encourage you to do that. We see Paul come back to Ephesus on what was, uh, what's referred to as his third missionary journey. And some of you go to maps in your Bible, if you've still got the old Bible. Uh, maybe your app has it too, I'm not sure. But uh, it's interesting to see the journey and, and just think about what it was like, the challenge of the uh, travel at that time. And he made his way back to Ephesus, Paul did, uh, on, on this, his third missionary journey. And things really then take off in the church's effectiveness for sharing the gospel, the good news message of Jesus. And, and it results in uh, people coming to faith and, and living out their faith. And it, it's really what happens is a result of, of Faithful Christ followers being salt and light in their, in their community, uh, along, of course, with the, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say, He is, the Holy Spirit is, that we read about in Acts and in, in the New Testament, is the same Holy Spirit that is alive and active in His church today, including this local church, to bring about anything of lasting and eternal value. We see Christ followers being filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in this Ephesians location, as in other places. But we, we see that happening. The Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus immerses, baptizes them in the Holy Spirit. And they're, they're, they're praying more passionately. They're, they're prophesying. They're, they're speaking in unknown tongues that, that, that both give worship to God and declaration of the gospel in languages they've not learned before. And that's a gift of the Holy Spirit available to every believer, I, I believe, for, for empowerment to witness for Jesus. And it's happening here in Ephesus. There was a powerful declaration of the good news message. Love, love for God was alive and vibrant in their hearts. But we need to remember, as we studied in last fall, when we had that one Sunday on the book of Revelation, if you were here, you may remember that. He... he, he brought about this, uh, the book of Revelation, the writer of the book of Revelation, John, he, he wrote about this very same church. But you remember what he said? A church that 
It's alive and vibrant with love for God and love for one another. Well, 30 years later, John writes and says, you've, you've lost your first love. What happened? You're cold now. Eaglemont family, let's, let's never allow that to happen to us. Keeping our love for Jesus vibrant takes a commitment, takes an investment of time, takes an investment of our, of our engagement with, with the word of God, which we talk about often here, and, and, and so we should takes investment in committing together to, be a, uh, to live in community with one another, to encourage and inspire one another, to pray for one another, to keep our love for God alive. takes some intentionality. And so this letter of uh, Ephesians is written between 60, 63 AD, approximately a decade after Paul was there in person. And he's writing this letter to them after these years, from his luxury condo retirement condo there in Rome, otherwise known as Rome Penitentiary, where he was incarcerated for teaching about Jesus when they told him, don't, don't do that. Ephesians is a letter that has two parts. Chapters 1 to 3 reveal that through Christ's death and resurrection, we're reconciled into right relationship with God and, and brought together in unity with other Christ followers. And then chapters four to six are about how we can live in light of our position in Christ, living out of our new identity. There's a lot of talk about identity these days. Our identity is in Christ as Christians. And he shapes how we live and what we think and how we speak and all the rest of the aspects of our life. And then in chapters four to six, along with our you know, a, a growing understanding of our new identity in Christ is the whole aspect of, once again, the unified body called the church. Uh, such a powerful theme through Ephesians as well. It's the church, which is God's primary way to display his grace to a, to a broken and hurting world. And, and we're a part of that. Uh, those of us who are Christ followers. So in this series, we're reading each section uh, in the New Living Translation. Today's passage is Ephesians 1, 1 to 14. So please open your heart, would you? This, some of you have read this passage before. Maybe some of you haven't. I, I, I just pray and hope in these moments of me reading out loud this passage that it captivates our hearts. This letter is from Paul. Verse 1, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us in kindness 
uh, he has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us, here it is again, in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, and Paul, of course, is speaking there on behalf of his people, we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now, you Gentiles, everyone else, right, have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own People. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And I don't mean that literally. Francis Chan writes the following about another passage in Ephesians, but it applies here. He says, every believer needs to stare at those verses long enough to be stunned. He says, I mean really stunned. Reading this passage, you might be tempted to say, well, that's too good to be true. But all that we just read is available in Jesus to anyone and everyone. This passage is rich, it's deep, it's quite wordy, as you noticed, and yet it's, it's flowing. Uh, in it, Paul unpacks the essence of what it means to be the, re- to be the recipient of God's grace through Christ. I, I love how he seems to just simply, it, it seems simple, uh, just so flowing, and, and, and I can just imagine these powerful truths just, just kind of pouring out of his heart uh, through his fountain pen onto the parchment scroll or whatever he was writing on. I just imagine those moments of God, as we believe God's Spirit directing the, right, the human writers of Scripture. That's what's happening. That's why it's powerful. Not because Paul is a great orator. As a matter of fact, he says, I'm not. It's powerful stuff. God's Word is. The author of a, a corechristianity.com article that I shared with you in the church newsletter back in January uh, said the following about this passage. It's a particularly rich, Ephesians 1, it's a particularly rich way of telling the story of Scripture. And Paul's excitement is such that the passage is one long, breathless sentence. And you kind of have noticed that if you've read it before, I'm sure. And and then the author of that article says, the flow of his thought goes from past to present to future. This morning I want to highlight three incredible words from this passage. I've read Ephesians 1, as many of you have, uh, many times over over many years. I I read it as a teenager, as a a young adult. And and even then, I I recall this this sense of of, of wow. Let, Let the wow factor settle in your heart as you 
maybe take this home today and, and read and reread it. Wow, God has given us so much through Christ. And as verse 3 in this passage, passage says, if you're united with Christ, you have the spiritual blessings of being three things, three words that I said, I'm going to highlight. Spiritual blessings of being chosen, adopted, and forgiven. And if you've been a Christ follower a long time, don't let those words just kind of, I know what that is. Let them, let them captive. Choose to open your heart to let these truths reignite your heart for love for God and love for people. Before we get to those words, a few things about verses 1 to 3 in this passage. Number 1, verse 1. Paul is writing to, as it says here, God's holy people. The New King James Version uses the word saints. Now, when we read the word saint in, in the New Testament, some might think of uh, statues in cathedrals or extra special Christians that you know, are, are just extra holy uh, or, or they should be especially honored or even, even prayed to. <laughs> none of that is in Paul's mind at all be because none of that is in the Bible at all. In the New Testament, Paul consistently uses this word saint when he's referring to Christ followers. The, the, the words are synonymous. Saints are people, like probably most of us in this room, who have, have, have committed their life to Christ, who have surrendered to Jesus Christ. Just a point to keep in mind. Then verse 2, Paul expresses his desire for God to give these saints, uh, the, these, these very fallible Christians like you and I, to give these saints... God, give them your grace and your peace. <laughs> Two of the greatest gifts that a spiritual leader could ask God to give people. Grace, that unmerited uh, love of God whereby we receive what we do not deserve. That's grace. And I'm grateful to be the recipient of that because I need it. Grace. And it's God's gift of grace that then brings Peace, um, peace within ourselves, and, and peace, most importantly, between us and our Creator. Relationally, peace. And then verse 3, Paul is directing praise to God the Father because he has done what? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. The spiritual blessings referred to only come as we are united with Christ. Nothing I, I do other than choose to step into a relationship with Jesus. There's no works that I have to perform to be the recipient of these spiritual blessings of which Paul writes here. Remember that. We, we live in such a performance-oriented age that we can transfer that thinking to this beautiful, grace-filled passage, and we, we, we must not, because God doesn't. Spiritual blessings referred to come as we ask God to be the forgiver and the leader of our life and, and turn from our sin and, and surrender our life and eternity to God. And something important here, Christ followers, please don't, please don't confuse receiving 
every spiritual blessing, as Paul puts it, with a trouble-free life, with, with, with a pain-free life in this world. Don't, don't confuse the two. In, in his book, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back, uh, years ago, author and longtime pastor Chuck Swindle wisely wrote, Christians need to be told that difficulty and pressure are par for the course. And he's talking about in the Christian life. He says, no amount of biblical input or deeper life conferences or super victory seminars will remove our human struggles. God promises no bubble of perfection, no guaranteed release from calamity. He says, ask guys like Job or Joseph or Daniel or Paul. And if you don't know about their stories, all of them, used by God, loved God, but had significant trouble and suffering. It's a good reminder. So, three life-changing and eternity-altering words. First word, chosen. Verse four. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, briefly, this, this phrase, without fault in his eyes. Huh. How, can, how can God see me that way? I know me. And let's be real, God knows me. And God knows everything. How, how, can, how can that be? Miriam doesn't see me that way. Uh, nor, sh- nor should she, because that wouldn't be true. <laughs> God the Father, the righteous and perfect judge, chooses to look at us through the eyes, through Jesus and what he did on the cross. In other words, the, the righteousness that Christ has that is 100% pure is put on us. Jesus' righteousness, the the Bible says, covers, we are covered in the righteousness of Christ because the Father has accepted the sacrificial death of His Son as full payment for the punishment our sin deserved. Fully paid, payment fully made, salvation fully delivered. What a beautiful thing. Back to the key word, chosen. Even before the world was made, God chose us. This is referred to in theological terms as the the doctrine of election, which which has baffled many for centuries. A debate that, I don't know, I've never really cared much to spend a lot of time, you know, uh, debating with, with, with people, because if it hasn't been settled for centuries, it's, we'll, we'll, we'll know someday. But there's something we can know. It's interesting, uh, Warren Worsby's comments, he says, a, a, a seminary professor once said to me, try to explain election and you may lose your mind, but try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. You see, you, you see our salvation begins with God. Not us. And again, in this society we live in, it it can easily become all about us, can't it? Jesus said, you you did not choose me, I chose you. In John 15. And then in Luke 19.10, Jesus makes it clear who seeks who. He says, the Son of Man, a reference to himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Think about this reality of being 
of being chosen. Entertainer Garrison Keeler recalls the childhood pain of being chosen last for the baseball team. Two captains that the gym teacher appointed are, are down to their last grudging choices. Huh. Slow kid for catcher, uncoordinated kid out in right field. Maybe, maybe you've been the object of comments like, well, if you take her, I'll take him. Keeler says, he says, just once, I'd like to be picked first. Or even somewhere close to first. When the captains begin their selection, I'd, I'd just love to hear one of them say, you, I want, I want you. Skinny kid with the glasses, come on, you're on my team. But I've never, he said, I've never been chosen with much Enthusiasm. Hmm. Did you ever think about the fact that you are so valuable to God that He chose you with enthusiasm? And He chose you early <laughs> before the world was created. God, it's nothing for God to see your face, to know your story to know what drives you, to know your personality. To, there's nothing for God to know that before you physically existed. That might blow your mind, but I believe that with all of my heart. Hmm. That speaks something powerfully to you, I hope, and to me. God invites you. If you haven't already, he invites you to step into his choice of you it, today, in this moment. And become his true and eternal child. He doesn't force you. He, he lovingly invites you. And, and if you haven't already, I pray that you'll respond to, to his choosing of you with, with a loud yes. Kind of like Cody did in the baptism tank a few weeks, a few months ago. It was awesome. Brandy, your song selections this morning were very cool. Spirit-led, I believe. So much of this was contained in the lyrics that we sang together. It was awesome. Chosen. Then the word adopted. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, verse 5, by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He's talking about you, my friend. Right there. Watch this video. 20-second video. Careful, open it up. There we go. I want you to read it. I'm going to be adopted? <laughs> we love you, sweetheart. We'll always be. The, the video was okay there. Here it was frozen, but you saw it was active? Good. the power it's the power of being wanted and you are by the God who created everything we see <laughs> the power of being chosen 
and invited into his loving, eternal family. Our adoption by God is such a great gift, isn't it? For those of us who have responded. But I also love what this verse says about the pleasure God gets from adopting us. Isn't that cool? And again, I quote Charles Swindle. Our relationship, he says, with God has been likened to one in which a judge condemns a lawbreaker and then comes out from behind the bench and pays the penalty. Huh. Doesn't stop there, though. He says, but God does more than that. He takes us home. He adopts us into his family. Being a part of a family is something that we can take for granted, isn't it? Oh, yes, family can be challenging. <laughs> but I can, I, can, I can only try to imagine the feelings of isolation that are a part of, of not having a family. Whether that's actually or by virtue of broken relationships, you're alone. No family, really, to speak of. Can't imagine that. It's the experience of far too many, and far too many young ones in our world. No connection, no sense of being wanted or embraced, no grounding, no history to orient their lives around, nor foundation to build their future upon. That's just so tragic. And that's the spiritual condition. That's the spiritual condition for everyone before we step into God's family. The door of which has been widely opened for all of us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. As we've read about this morning. Jesus and his gospel makes possible the beauty of adoption and belonging. John 14, 8, Jesus promised his disciples that he would not leave them as orphans. Of course, he was physically going back to heaven, but he promised to send the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit to reside within them and fill them. And he did. And after his resurrection, one of the first things he said was that his disciples were now his brothers. And that his father was also their father. Family. In a moment, we'll talk about being forgiven and free from sin. And that's great, but, but if, we, if we were to not belong anywhere, we'd still feel empty. We are forgiven. We're set free to belong to God forever. To be a part of his family forever. And, and, and while we're in this world, God intends for us to have a strong connection with his family. With, with his bride. Uh, uh, with the church. And that's why, that's why I have no doubt that it grieves God's heart when Christians treat his church and, and their connection to it locally with Sometimes with such indifference. I, I believe that breaks God's heart. You see, in adoption we have a new family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and God is our true father. But God went even further. He gave us, as I said already, he gave us his Holy Spirit to put his stamp of approval on us. On us. God's spiritual DNA imprinted in our hearts, a reminder for us that in adoption we have a new legal standing as an heir to God's family privileges. Pastor and author Timothy Keller talks about Paul's choice of words in this passage, and we don't see it in the New Living Translation that we read from, but in the New King James Version, the phrase adoption as sons is used. Keller points out that some people are 
put off by Paul's language of adoption because they say it's gender insensitive. Well, uh, Keller says they, they argue, wouldn't it be better to say that we are uh, we, we become sons and daughters of God? And, and we certainly say that, and that's good. Um, we do. Uh, but, but, the, but the point Paul is making, though, can also be missed here. Pastor Keller goes on to tell how a conversation with a woman... Um, from a non-Western family in a very traditional culture helped him understand this. There, there was only, in this lady's family, one son, and it, it was understood in her culture that he would receive most of the family's provisions and honor. In essence, they were saying, uh, he's the son, you're just a girl. N- not right, but th- that's what it was in, in that culture. Well, one day, she was studying uh, this adoption analogy in Paul's writings, and she suddenly realized that the apostle actually was making a revolutionary claim. Paul lived in a very traditional culture, just like she did. He was living in a place where daughters were second-class citizens. And, and listen, so when, when Paul said, out of his traditional culture, that we are all sons in Christ, He was saying that there's no second-class citizens in God's family. When you give your life to Christ and come into God's family, whether male or female, you receive all of the benefits that having God as your heavenly Father make available. You become very rich in that moment, actually, just like a son in a traditional culture would. That's so great. Chosen, adopted, forgiven. We are winding down, but I apologize in advance. I'm going to be a few minutes longer. Forgiven. Verse 6 and 7. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us. Poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. You may have walked through the doors of this building today carrying the weight of things you've done that you regret and and, and that maybe you're even tormented by. Freedom through his forgiveness is a gift God wants to deliver to your heart today. A gift. His forgiveness so deeply planted that no disparaging self-talk will shake it. That no lie that Satan tells you, like, God's close to giving up on you. That'll just, that won't impact you if you grasp the truth here. God wants nothing to shake your confidence in the power of his forgiveness through what Jesus has done on the cross. And you need to know that that once you've received God's forgiveness for your sin, he will never bring it up again. He will never reach back in your weak moment in the future and shake it in your face. How do you expect me to forgive you again? He'll never do that. He'll never, ever do that. Have you ever heard of phantom limb syndrome? Amputees can experience the sensation of a limb being there where their leg or their arm has been removed. Phantom limb. But locked in their brain is a memory of this now non-existent limb. And they can feel pain in the limb that is no longer there. I, I just can't imagine that. 
In his book, Pain, The Gift Nobody Wants, Dr. Paul Brand tells the story of Mr. Barwick. He had a serious and painful circulation problem in his leg, but refused the recommended amputation. Now, that big thing, right? It's a big deal. As the pain grew worse, Barwick grew bitter about it, and he grew literally bitter toward the leg. He, 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 he hated the leg. Finally, it got so bad he couldn't take it anymore, and he had it amputated. And he had a strange request uh, to the surgeon to put his amputated leg True story, if you believe Dr. Paul Bortwick, um, Dr. Paul Brand, sorry, uh, to, to put, surgeon, to, to put his leg in a pickling jar. He said, I want to put it on my mantle so I can taunt that leg and say, you can't hurt me anymore. Okay, I know, I had some issues, but anyway. That's um, what happened. turned out a little different than Barwick imagined. He suffered intense phantom limb pain. The wound healed, but, but he could feel the torturous pressure of the swelling as the muscles cramped from muscles that weren't there anymore. And, and seemingly no prospect for relief. He had hated the leg so much, so with such intensity, that the, the pain had mysteriously lodged permanently in his brain. Here's here's the point. Phantom limb syndrome provides insight, doesn't it? To the struggle that we sometimes have with false guilt. And it's a weapon that Satan will try to use to keep us down. Satan isn't some imaginary guy in a red suit and a pitchfork. No, he's a fallen angel, according to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. And ever since God gave him the boot out of heaven because of his pride that entered his heart and he wanted to take over, he's been in opposition to God. And so that, it's just a little explanation there. It's not a fairy tale. Spiritual reality is what it is. And we'll talk more about that on April 5th, the last Sunday of this series, as we look at Ephesians chapter 6. But false guilt, weapon, it's a weapon of Satan to keep us down Christians who have asked God to forgive them, and God has forgiven them fully, and yet they're still often tormented by their past, and it cripples their spiritual life, and it affects other aspects of their life and relationships and all. My friends, God is, God is not the cause of your spiritual phantom limb pain as you rehearse the past and feel the pain of it again. Yes, there's future uh, steps to take and, and consequences that we work through and all of that. that, that I'm not, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But as far on a spiritual level from God's perspective of you as one of his children, having a heart that's pure and holy before him, if the sin has been forgiven, it's gone. Because Jesus' sacrifice is that powerful. We need to rem- remember that. I mean, think about David. He knew, he knew sin, adultery, deception, murder, but was still able to say, remember, in, in Psalm 103, if you know, if you've read the Psalms, he said, as far as the east is from the west, it's an unending differential. So far have you removed my transgression or my sin from me. Some of you need to hear that today. 
Listen carefully. So, forgiveness, forgiveness doesn't come cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. It costs the father the, the torment of seeing his son suffer. It costs Jesus great sorrow and pain physically and spiritually in giving his life to step in and pay the penalty for sin that was death for me, for you. But God the Father and God the Son were, were willing to go there for us, to see us forgiven. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Do you want to be that if you're not in, in relation with God? So many of you know this, and I, and I pray that these truths are a refresher for all of us in our, in our heart of confidence in who we are in Christ and, 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 and uh, in, in, in gratefulness to all, for all that God has, has, has given to us in Christ. But there may be some here who, you, you, you know that, and it's not about whether you've gone to church or not. You can go to church all your life, but any more than going to the airport every day will make you an airplane. That's uh, not it. As important as church is for the gathering of believers and all of that, right? But you, you may have gone to church all your life, but here you sit and you I, I, I don't know. Not to be dramatic, but the reality is I, I don't, you might say, I, I don't know if I died today if I'd enter heaven. Because I don't know if I've ever come to the place of, of surrendering my life to Jesus Christ of desiring and turning from my sin and, and uh, repenting from that and going God's direction and wanting to have him as, as my forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life. I've, I, I don't know. I don't think. I'm not sure. Or you know for sure. Never done that. This may be your moment today to change your spiritual trajectory. What a beautiful opportunity we have. And we can do it anytime, anywhere. This gift to be all of what Paul is talking about here. To, be, to know we're chosen and we've leaned into that and we've accepted God's choice of us and responded by making the choice, the free choice that he still allows us to surrender to him and become one of his true children. To be chosen. To be adopted. Same thing. To be forgiven. To receive his forgiveness. So that the very thing that keeps us from a relationship with God now and in eternity, sin that we all have and all born with is removed, is forgiven. Does that mean we'll never trip up, stumble, fail in the future? No. That's why I love that little verse in 1 John in the New Testament. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just or fair to forgive you. And there's, there's, there's a reconnection. Not that you're not a Christian, Christian, not a Christian. That's not it. But to receive his forgiveness today. Maybe, maybe for the first time. Or maybe you've wandered away spiritually and today's your day as a reminder from God's word. I am chosen. I am adopted. I am forgiven as I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Is there any in this room right now who would say, I, I, I'm responding to Jesus today. I want to give my life to Christ today. Just, just as you sit and stare at me. Anybody? Just lift your hand and look my, you're already looking my direction. God knows every heart. 
And maybe this is something you're wrestling with right now. Keep asking questions. Encourage you to read and reread this passage. If you have questions and you don't have anybody that you feel you can ask, connect with us at the church. We'd, we'd love to, to dialogue with you about things that are more important than, than anything we could talk about, actually. Most of us know God's grace in our life. And most of us in this room want to live in and under his grace every day. And we need his grace to live as he wants us to live, don't we? To reflect him well in our world that needs his love so desperately. To live every day walking in God's love for us and our love for him that shows itself in our love for others. Look for those opportunities this week. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for this rich passage of Scripture. But not only for the words, but for the experience that most of us are, are so grateful for. Thank you that we are chosen, that we are adopted, and that we are forgiven by your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.